hello, 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 America, the world, Democrats, Republicans, welcome to Bricktown. How you doing? Dr. Bob, we're just excited to uh, talk to you today. Okay. Uh, we had the uh, Democratic Convention starting out. What, what's on your mind? Well, I, I, I brought me back to when I went to the one in San Francisco years ago. The one that, 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 that actually selected uh, Mosa Mondale instead of Gary Hart and Jesse Jackson. I was a Gary Hart delegate. I was vice chair of Gary Hart's campaign. So it was a different situation there. And I kind of think that one of the things that Tip O'Neill wanted to do, he thought to talk about doing, he should have done, was that he was going to put up a ticket of Gary Hart and Jesse Jackson as vice president and let it run. Instead of what he did, he, he, they selected Walter Mondale and he lost 49 states. They would, they would have done a lot better than 49 states, to tell you that. Sometimes we, 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 out, we outthink ourselves. If you said, my, my mother used to say, if you study wrong, long, you study wrong. So that's what happened. But anyway, I think that the convention thus far has been different. It's been a lot of fun. Got wonderful speakers, wonderful vignettes from people all over the country. And I think it, it's brought a real nationwide feel to it. Not the convention boozy feel of a convention is generally that people spend a lot more time at it time having parties and going to the various shows. Because remember that each of these conventions, everybody who's got money or has a business that has money or, or expects the government to do something, gives something there. So the, the events that, that happened that afternoon and evening are just wonderful. We went to the pier a couple of times. <coughs> I remember Willie Brown, basically that year, he made sure that they actually redid a whole pier that was abandoned with every restaurant in San Francisco. And they had every band. I remember seeing Gracie Slick in the Jefferson Airplane saying somebody to love. So, I mean, it was just a wonderful, it was a wonderful event to go to. And they sent you all this. Everybody sends you everything. Every delegate gets sent a whole bunch of stuff. I must have got 20, 20 items I got. And I gave them away for a long time. All the items we, you get as a delegate. So, so it's a wonderful event to go to. Delegate. Now, uh, what were your thoughts on Michelle Obama's speech? Uh, I thought she did wonderful. She's very good. She's a natural politician. And, and what came through there is that, you know, she's probably, she was a very good lawyer. And you could see that. She's a wonderful speaker. And uh, is probably the most popular person in this country now. And I would hate to be on the other side from her with her jumping on me about anything. I mean, Donald, Donald Trump really, he was really out of sorts, but she really made him look like a fool. <laughs> Which he is. And hopefully our long, this country's long nightmare will be over with in a couple couple months. Because this, this is, the way we're going now is not a good thing. Whether you're uh, whether you're a traditional Republican or or a Democrat or anybody else, he's got a cult going there, and that's the only people with him. People who 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 are making a living off of him 
anybody or his only supporters, basically, and people who are far-right, ultra-racist. Those are the ones who are going for him. The QAnon people. So, that's my thoughts on that. But I thought it was a wonderful event. It's shaping up to be a wonderful convention. And I think next week, uh, the Republican one will be a doom and gloom one. It won't be good at all. In fact, I think it's going to have a Paul. None of the senators are going, by the way. Anywhere to go, come anywhere near this. They're trying to shed themselves an image that they don't even know this guy. If he loses the election, they'll ask like I didn't know who he Donald who. Please, I don't know who that guy is. Right now, they're, they're sucking up to him because they're afraid that he, he might tweet against them. And it's, it's really sad if you're a senator and you're afraid of a tweet. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's really sick. Uh, if you're in a position like that, you need to stand up and be who you are and what you really think. And the logic of this place is that the things that he does, he's thinking of, they're not very good. You know, it's, it's, it defies common sense, the things he's talking about. And, and, and if, you, if you lose all your principles, then who are you? Who are you? You can vote your conscience and people who sent you there. Not, not you know, uh, some idiot that's, that's a crazy man. He's absolutely crazy. But I, I think that's easy to say, but isn't it hard to do that? Nope. you got to remember who brought you there. Whoever when you were a politician, were you ever pressured? Well, you always are pressured. I mean, you do it. I mean, there's always people who will go on either side of you, yes. That doesn't mean you do it. I remember, I remember among the first things we did when we got elected, I was a city, I was an alderman then, is we raised the uh, salary of the alderman and the mayor. Uh, and basically it was, from, I think it was $200 a year to, I think it was $2,000 a year. And the mayor got... Got ten thousand dollars a year. I was a, I was was an alderman, I was mayor. I was an alderman, not a mayor. And because that made more sense, the amount of time you spend on being an alderman or a city councilman or a uh, county commissioner, it was coming out to about even with the raises to about fifteen cents an hour. You don't make any money on this thing at all. But your time is valuable, and you never get it back. So uh, yeah. Remember that when you're in this posi- those positions, half of your decisions mostly are going to be half the people for you and half are against you. You're going by your intuition, your gut, whatever. And every every decision that's meaningful is going to have a lot of detractors and a lot of adherents. You have to remember where you came from, who you are, and keep your con- your compass. The thing that is most disturbing about the, the senators, Republican ones, is they forget where they came from. Stuck up to this guy who's not, he's never been a Republican. And they do get awful for the little bit of power that they get. And when most of them, or many of them, lose their seats, they deserve to lose them. Because he's anti Republican, anti Democratic. It's for this guy's whims. And they allow him to build a wall that, 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 that has not been effective since Hadrian did it almost 2,000 years ago in England. <laughs> To, to keep a rebel people away from you 
that's what they that's what they're doing. They're going over the wall, going under the wall. <laughs> We're spending billions of dollars instead of they took the money from kids' schools on an army basis. You know, fixing barracks for soldiers. That's just unconscionable what they're doing. To allow that to happen, they deserve to lose their seats and talk to the country club buddies from their their country club the rest of their careers because they won't be back again. And these Republicans who lose this time will never be ever ever ever, ever reelected. The younger ones, particularly, but the older ones are too old to get reelected. But the younger ones, like Cory Gardner and the, and the girl in McSally, they'll never be elected to anything else. Not even door catcher again. But the cows, they they towed it up to this idiot. And his, his daughter's book just told exactly who he is. I kind of suspected it, but his daughter, his, his niece, just laid, laid it all out. One thing she said in that book is I never could understand when I was working for him what he did all day. He just sit in his office. He, doesn't have, he didn't have a computer. He's never had a computer. He just sits in his office. Just talking to folks and that's it. Doing gossip and chasing women. <laughs> looking, looking, looking at Playboy magazines and, and trying to see if he can get a date with one of them. Come on. That's who he was. And it is. And I'll make a prediction on this blog. It won't be six months after he gets out of office that his wife leaves him. Watch. She will leave his ass six months out after he's gone from his position. And, and why do you believe that? Look at her. Look, she doesn't want to hold his hand. She's trying to hold her hand. She, she wants to make sure she doesn't need to hold his hand. She, she looks like a prisoner of war. <laughs> Going through the motions. And a long, a long nightmare will be over in six, in six, in six weeks. <laughs> well, um, no one wants to be a prisoner of war, so I, I agree with you on that one. Well, look at her. And I think she's a nice enough lady, but she's, she's got a Faustian bargain, which, which is the worst kind to have. I think she loves her son. Uh, but she doesn't like that guy. Uh, if she can, once, once she gets out of this, she'll get out of it and never go home wherever home is. I don't think our home's going to be Mar-a-Lago. I think it's going to be Trump Tower. Yeah. As she, watch, as she watches her window every day, she'll see Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Which I think is the ultimate irony, irony that outside of his, his current business, current residence and his future, his past business, there's a big, huge sign on the streets and Black Lives Matter. Well, you know, I I think that he ran a, initially a pretty racist campaign and he got 50 million votes. Actually, it was 63 million. That's a lot of votes. When oh, you yeah. openly run a racist campaign. Well, but how much of that was traditional Republicans? who treated him as a traditional Republican, which is always about a 50-50 country. And that's why he got to, he won't get 60 million this time, I can tell you that. He might like it, he might not get 50 million this time. And I do think that uh, Biden will get very close to, close to 70 million. Hillary was an awful candidate. She didn't 
she didn't deserve to be in the ticket. It actually should have been Bernie, or once she got elected, she should have selected one of the more, more one of the more radical political people, either from from Bernie's campaign, Bernie himself, or somebody like Cory Gardner, or something to fight black people, because that's why she lost the election. And her her her, her crew of people, including very few people of color, anyway, she had women, yes, but very few people of color throughout that whole organization. That's who she needed to get elected. If she ran like a Republican campaign, remember she grew up as a as a as a Rockefeller Reagan Republican. So I mean that's that's who she always has been. So I mean, you know, it's uh she ran an, actually a very good presidential campaign when she the first time. The second time was a waste of time. She was basically too old out of touch because she had spent those intervening years those intervening mostly eight years doing nothing but being she was a decent senator but also raising money her and her husband raised about a hundred million dollars when they left the White House he had to borrow money to buy a house so I mean all of this is uh, as you look at it and begin looking at it you know it's, this campaign will be a watershed for the country. We all can look forward to, to having higher taxes, having some of our infrastructure rebuilt. Remember, I've been halfway around the world, as you have. This is the, the worst airports in the world are here, in our country. The worst highways, the worst bridges are here, in our country. <laughs> and, you know, it's, we need another CCC program to put people to work. Building new roads, new roads, new bridges, building back our infrastructure. That's what we need to do. I don't care how much money we have to borrow to do that. Do that. Because, I mean, our country is falling apart. That's, that's what's... And that's because Republicans have been able to dominate spending no money except on themselves and their buddies. They were bought and paid for. And we, are, we need to have basically nationalized elections that are paid from Congress that are paid for by the federal government. You get X amount of dollars, and you can raise X amount of dollars, and that's it. You can't self-finance yourself. It'll stop these millionaires and billionaires being in, in Congress. Because so you have to basically have a, have a merit to being elected. But no, I think that Biden will get elected. He'll, he'll win Michigan big. I think he'll win Wisconsin big. And I think he'll win Pennsylvania big. That shuts off any chance of this idiot getting getting back in. Plus, I think he probably going to win Florida and North Carolina. And I think it's going to be a wipeout. Every day, the more people die, the less people think it was a hoax. And he keeps on saying it's going to go away tomorrow. This is all going to go away. It's going to disappear. Now, how are you going to appeal all these people who died? Man, it's a yeah. fantasy world. If you listen to him, you realize you're dealing with an idiot. This boy, this boy's elevator does not go to the top. And we've never had a lunatic in the presidency before. Wilson was pretty much out of it, but his wife was actually smart enough to run the country. This guy, is, you know, he doesn't let his wife run the country. And the people around him don't, don't, don't tell him the truth. They're smart enough people like Hogan Gibley, I remember him. He's a Republican, but I remember him running campaigns in South Carolina. That's where he's from. He's a pretty bright guy. 
And now he looks like an absolute idiot up there talking. He's about for what it takes to keep, keep his job, which is the best job he's ever had in his life, paying him the most money he's ever going to make in his life. And I understand that. But don't believe him. I mean, Hogan, Gimli, and all these other guys, they won't say a single word against what the president believes, even though all of them know he's wrong. And I guess at some point you just say, do you need to sell your soul? What is your soul worth? They're both basic Judas. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, Caesar said to Brutus, you too, Brutus, as Brutus stabbed him. At some point, that's what Donald, that's what, that's what <coughs> Donald Trump's going to say to these people as they leave him in droves after he no longer can pay him, pay him. Plus, I think he's going to make sure that he does not spend this war chest he's gotten because to go, he can keep that to use any way he wants to use it, pretty much. And he'll end up with a hundred million dollars in the bank from this, from this, from this what's the name, from this campaign. Then he'll start his Trump net network before he goes to prison because there's a whole bunch of folks who going to make sure his ass goes to prison. One thing that's coming out, people that haven't really thought it all the way through. But remember, a lot of the things that she says coming out of that intelligence report happened during the time he was president. And a lot of that stuff was illegal. Obstruction of justice is still an illegal federal offense. And the next attorney general, for nothing else, can put him in jail for that. And he obstructed justice by lying. I don't think he's going to be going to jail. I'd be willing to bet you he does, Bob Rudy. Bet you a hundred bucks he does. On the air, you guys heard it. Make sure he pays me off. Well, you know, I just look at the history of America and justice. And I just no, don't I, I think just... I think historically, you're right. But he has engendered so much thievery and theft. He's going to jail. Because as he leaves office, all of the stuff that he has been hiding will come out. All of it. He can. He. I mean, he has spent millions to make sure the public does not know everything about him. But it's all going to come out. Sooner or later, it all comes out, and that's it. You know, I think it's it's easy for us to kind of stand in judgment of this man and all of his greed. But in actuality, he represents America. No, he doesn't. And, and he represents a piece of all of us and our overconsumption. Well, I'm not going to argue necessarily that necessarily, but I guess what I'm saying to you is he represents about 15 to 20 percent of the country that falls for this stuff. That's the best Ku Klux Klan is. People who believe in discrimination, no matter who you are, we're Jewish or whatever, we don't like you because you're not like us. Even though we're too stupid to go anywhere, and we're too stupid to live in a part of the country that is still suffering from the Civil War. And the Civil War is 150 years ago. Yeah, I'm saying these, that for this part of the country that we live in currently, the Deep South, that's why it's depressed. They're suffering from idiocies and things in slavery that, that happened 160 and 70 years ago. So, no. I have a feeling that, and I may be wrong on that, but whoever that attorney general is, I think that the president, he's not going to pardon this guy. He's already said that. 
Who are you talking about? Uh, Biden. Biden. He said he's not going to pardon him. But, you know, the reality is that there are crimes that, that, that they're going to, that the vice president, the current vice president, is going to pardon for, because I think he's going to leave office early. Maybe only a couple of days, maybe a week or two, but he's going to leave office early. That way Pence can pardon him. However, you never know. Ted might say, I'm not going to do that afterwards. (laughs) But this thought about about him leaving, no, he's going to leave. They'll make sure he leaves. Too Too many people that are billionaires depend upon the country staying together to make sure his ass leaves. You've been to you've been to China, right? What? So you've been to China. What what are your contrasts between China and the people of China and their leader and America and our leader? China and, and their leader is an absolute dictator. The Communist Party runs everything there. Absolutely. And if you're out of line, they kill you. Basically, they just kill you. There's no, what's the name? He's a would-be dictator. But there's too many checks and balances. He's stonewalling and, and getting his part of the, of the government together to believe in him. But he's, he's got all those sycophants around him who believe in him. But guess what? In China, it's absolute. The one thing I, that I found when I went to China was this. And what they told us about it, and I saw it as a, in, in, in fact. You can walk on the, the most dangerous streets in China as an American, and nobody's going to ever bother you. Because if they, you get mugged or bothered there, guess what? They're going to track down that person, and they're going to shoot him on the spot, dead. During the SARS epidemic, which is, uh, which is was happening when I, when I was over there, uh, the mayor of Beijing was always downplaying how many people had it. Which is where it was, and, and Hong Kong. But the mayor of Beijing was kept on downplaying it, and when they finally found out what he had done, they just pulled him out, pulled him out of his office, and shot him dead in the street. That's what they do. I mean, they, they don't they don't play games with that at all. So I, thought, I, I thought it was an interesting country to visit. I'm glad I visited for two weeks. But it's a extremely poor country. Nobody has anything. Everything there is so much cheaper than everything here. They have everything here that we have there. Anything you want that's here is sold there. And the bottom line of it, you can buy it cheaper there than you can buy it here. Believe it or not. And but it seems is, like China's done well with the coronavirus as far as containing it. Well, they've, they've done better, but it's they've done what needed to be done. You isolate the people and, and, and you, you test and everything else. And they've done that. You know, they will do better with a new president. This guy's reluctantly doing it. And the people who listen to him, every one of them is going to lose their positions. He honestly thinks the governor of Texas is going to be reelected. Please. The governor of Arizona is going to be reelected. No. 
people looking at this? North Dakota? All these, all these people, South Dakota? They let these meat, meat plants, these meat packing plants go rampant? They won't get reelected. Even though we've had problems here in North Carolina, this guy's going to get reelected. The lieutenant governor is lagging, who's running for governor also, is Republican. He can finish. His, his career is over with. He won't be reelected. We're not going to reelect a Republican here for another 20 years. Because the gerrymandering they did is believe, will leave a, a taste of people of your age for 20 years. Remember, when I was growing up and I was first in government, there were very few Republicans. Very few. And, and their, their thought process, when they get into power, is to do in folks, lie to people, do everything to demonize them, and hopefully they, they, you'll be in and you do what you want to do and you steal as much as you can steal. I think I may have said to you that every time I go to the National RV Convention, which is, which is just RV owners, and they're all Republicans, 99%. Every time I go, somebody will come up to me and start asking me questions about Democrats and what they're doing wrong and how Republicans are doing right. These are people I have no idea I've never met before or even seen before. But a different one comes up to me every time. And I've been to about five of them, and it's been five different people. <laughs> I mean, because that's what it is. I'm a black guy, so you must be a Democrat. Let's go talk to you. And you're a successful Democrat because you have an RV bar. So they start talking to me, and I'm saying, no, this is what the real deal is. And most of them, believe it or not, they're very, very polite people. I'm not saying they're not. But most of them have never heard the other side of it. They're going by what they were, were believed or taught, taught. Most of them are in, in for their self-worth and wealth, wealth creators. I'll give them that. And they aren't bad people. They're just misguided. Well, your, I do whole think world, your whole world should not be. I'm gonna I'm do somebody in financially. I think more African Americans are getting into RVing and camping. Yeah. And I believe that you know there's going to be a resurgence in people loving nature. I can't thank you enough, Dad, for taking me camping, taking me to all these 4-H camps when I was a kid. Yeah. So that now I'm comfortable with nature comfortable with running our lakefront campsite, I'm comfortable with doing our outdoor classrooms in Durham, uh, we're now renting them out to schools, we're now renting them out to businesses that need to meet outdoors instead of meeting inside, so I thank you for leading me in that direction. Well, it's, 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 it's a direction I guess I was led to do by my parents. They didn't quite take us anywhere necessarily, but I remember in the school systems and other things that I was always in that kind of thing. During that, that the summer of uh, discontent that we talked about, when they had the march on Washington and Woodstock, I had gotten a job, I think that was my first year with, with a job, in the parks department. And it was, it was, it was actually was a scheme on how to get to be in the park department. And my next door neighbor behind us worked for Robert Moses. She was a black lady. And she said, this is what you do and how you do it. But they hired so many seasonal workers. And I was hired as a seasonal party that first year. 
and that was a different job than the people in the uh, at, at, at Surrey Pool, Surrey Park, which had a pool in it. And that was a different than the folks in there. But at some point in time, when the march on Washington happened, they realized that all the people who were that there's a pump called the Aqueduct, which was a, a, a big municipal pool. Actually, it's bigger than a football field, but it was only like, like four, foot, four feet deep. It was part of the World's Fair initially. Uh, the 36th World Fit there was part of that. And they had the, the pool there, and all the people who took people's clothes and they gave them like a locker key for it, all of them were white kids. Because it was, it was a coveted job. And when Washington, Washington happened, they said, well, we have this one black guy out here that's a seasonal park helper. You go in and do that instead. And I was the only one who's ever done it, to my knowledge, that time, who had ever done it inside. And after, they, they had a much shorter period where they actually worked. So after they worked, my seasonal parking was still going on for another month or two. So I actually worked longer than they did for about another month. My schooling didn't start for another month. And I remember that that time I was playing for Jerry's Tireman, which was based in Astoria also. And I was playing semi-pro football for Jerry's Tireman. And we used to practice in that act in that pool. This pool had no water in it. They dumped all the water out. But it was bigger than the football field. So we had sneakers on and we would practice in the story of pool. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, a, a wonderful experience for me. So y'all were in the pool? Yeah, the pool was like four feet deep. But it was, it was actually, had, I think that my recollection, they actually have lined it out with paint. But, uh, you know, the park jobs were one of the biggest scams in, in New York City. There were people who ran pools, and the pool people were all all coal operators. They delivered coal in the wintertime and ran pools in the summertime. So it was really, really it was a really kind of a scam. Because it was all, you had to be somebody, you had to know somebody to get that job. But they ran pools in the summertime and ran, uh, as I said, delivered coal to people who had coal-fired furnaces in the wintertime. And your uncle was the first black pool guy in New York City. The only one I ever knew. He was a good pool guy. He knew pools up uh, easily in and out. And he had put a pool in a black neighborhood, and that's what he got the job for. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was, in New York City, it still is probably, you had to know somebody to know somebody to get a job when he used jobs. Yeah, they would tell you you had to be somewhere at such and such a time, and you had to be first. So I remember to be a rest, the rest job, I had to be there a half an hour early before it started, so I was the first person. As the first person, I could, I could pick them which rec, rec place I wanted to be at, and I said, I wanted to be in the basketball park. And the guy said, well, do you know basketball? I said, yeah, I got teams. So I got to be, be, be the rec guy in the basketball park. And, and I coached my three or four teams at the same time. The St. Albans Collegians, which was the best the best, best team in, in Queens. Even though we would beat up on Bernie Bickerstaff's guys over in East Elmhurst. Bernie Bickerstaff's son is the coach of, I think, the Cleveland, the Cleveland team right now. But, but he was, even, even as you're talking, Dad, uh, about the 
jobs and the connections, you're really explaining what researchers call the informal job market versus the formal job market. Exactly, exactly. No question. How can we help, especially people of color and low-income people, to break into the informal job market? You have to be personable, and you have to want to want to basically, to some extent, eat a little bit of crow, and just be nice to people. You don't go in there, go in there. Remember, like we said to you, you don't go there looking like a hoodlum. You go there looking like a businessman. And if you do that, you do well. <laughs> you know, I never hired anybody. The only time I hired people that look like a bum, I don't care what he looks like. If you look like a bum, he's never got hired. I don't remember looking like a hoodlum dad, but I appreciate your, your wisdom. Well, no, no, but you always would dress nice. I mean, you, you and Bobby both knew how to wear a tie and stuff. You, you, you were educated enough to do that. And people told you that in school and other places, and that's what it takes. People realize that, you know, it's, you're in a culture that you can overcome some of the institutional races if you play some of the games. I think the Black Lives Matter stuff will force them to open up businesses and, and positions that they had not had opened. Most of the time, I got positions during periods of upheaval. I remember when, uh, I think I told you about my New York telephone thing when I applied for that position, and I went through a series of tests. They started out with 200 people and ended up with just me as we went through all these tests. Mm-hmm. And that's, it was, that was really the same thing, because there was one guy there who, who was my Sunday school teacher, who had actually had, a, usually had, a, most of his life, he had a terrible job, but he was, he was one of the first guys that ever got promoted, pretty an Uncle Tom guy, but he was, but he wanted me to move up. And he, and he told me exactly what to do each time, and it worked every single time. I did as well as I could in those tests. When I had went to Brooklyn Academy, and they had taught me how to take tests, and I was good at it, and that's what happened. And at the end of that, he said, you want to go to college, you have to get this kind of job, not that kind of job, which will actually, the other job will actually pay you more money. You have to join the union, but it will pay you more money. And I so said, really, I, really, it also sounds like the informal job market, you need mentors. You need oh, no question. No question. How do you get a, how do you get a mentor? Remember my dissertation, what my dissertation was on? It was on mentoring. How do you get a mentor? You need to find out what the informal hierarchy of any organization you're in is. And who are the movers and shakers? And befriend those, befriend those movers and shakers, whatever they look like. Just be there, Johnny, on the spot. That may humble you a little bit. But they know more about what's going on than you do. And most of them will tell you what to do if they like you. And that's really important. We have a tendency to to be in our enclaves, our ethnic enclaves, and go with the mores and stuff that are in those enclaves. But that doesn't work in the greater world. You have been, you and your brothers and sisters have been acclimated in a whole different world on how to do something. Do you think it's an accident that up your 
seven brothers and sisters, only one of them has not gotten out of college? Is that an accident? No, it's not. It's intentional. If you nurture it and you push people in certain directions, they will work. If you tell them how to act in certain ways, they will work. And I, if, if, I, if I say something that, you know, it's, it's not an accident that Tommy acts a certain way, or that you act a certain way, or Bobby acts a certain way. Those are all intentional things. And all I can say to you is that's because you're culturated by the people who raised you, but also the people who taught you. And you learn how to do things very, very differently. I know Heather used to always say that I, I was different in class than I was at home. But I don't think I was that much different. I was just more subtle at home. And I, because I, I always believed in telling young people what the truth was. I, I didn't share because I always told people what the truth was. It kind of works out. And all, all the children that I knew had anything to do with, they were better than their peers. They did better than their peers. Every single one. And that's one of the things that goes on. America, you've heard again from Dr. Bob. Great show this week. Uh, we talked about politics, talked about the informal job market. If you don't have a mentor, you need to go out and get one. Uh, final word of wisdom, Dad. Vote. By mail or however, go out and do it. I'm going to go in person to vote. I'll, I'll be all masked up and everything else. But I'm going to, I'm the first day that, First or second day that it's available to vote with less people, because we have early voting here in North Carolina, I'm going to go vote. My wife's going to go vote, and I'm going to try to get my sons that are here, two of the year, to go vote. Vote. We've got it. The future of this country depends upon you voting, and voting correctly. And as, as my wife is yelling at me in my, in my ear, young people need to vote. We need to get Aaron when he's when he's podcast. Her and your mother. So they can tell them how wonderful I am. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm sure we will do that. America, you heard it here first. Go out and vote. This has been From Breakdown next week, same time. Okay, I'll see you. Bye.